Folks, can we please have our seats? Thank you. <laughs> that was the third bell. There will not be one again. <laughs> All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O heavenly King, O Comforter, O Spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I talked about last week at the very beginning, Father Rooney had set the stage by going through the writing of Peter Crafe, the snakebite letters, really helping us, really helping us to lock on to the way that Satan sneaks his deceits into us and how quickly we fall to them because we don't recognize them. It was a big help to us. Much of what he points to in his book as far as the main things that Satan is constantly trying to deceive us and keep us away from are the experience of Christ in the sacrament of confession and in the sacrament of Eucharist in the context of the liturgy where heaven and earth are worshiping together. And the people of God are experiencing their God in their midst every time that they join together. Satan wants nothing for us to have nothing to do with this. I began last week and with the same way I'm going to begin as a reminder from his book, The Snake Bike Letters. You'll remember the elder demon is talking to the lesser demon that's being trained, and he makes the statement terrible things happen to us, the demonic. Terrible things happen at the altar and in confession. It's there. How powerless, how much in pain we are, how powerless we feel there. You know, right when I say that, my mind just went to something. When I was a deacon in the Eastern Rite, here's how the Mass starts. Here's how the Divine Liturgy starts. The deacon and the priest stand at the altar and the deacon bows, and he makes the most profound statement. It is time for the Lord to act. You want to know why the demons are powerless? You want to know why they fear? You want to know why they reel? It's because in that sacred time, not only is the announcement done, it is time for the Lord to act, but the Lord acts. And when he acts, he delivers his people. And we come to him for that deliverance again and again. This is why he uses so many things to keep us from that eternal event that heals the soul and grants us further the experience of his kingdom. And so today what we're going to look at is what is truly happening in the liturgy. And we're going to have to use what the church kind of calls the Holy Spirit-inspired sanctified imaginations. Not imaginations that conjure up things that are not, but that open our minds and our hearts to see what's really happening when we're in that building over there, when we've gathered together. So we're going to look at what's truly happening in the liturgy. We're going to look at Satan's strategy and deceits that he uses against us to keep us from that eternal experience and beholding the wonder of God and his kingdom. And then we're going to look at, in this service, what our particular offering that we have been graced to offer is to Christ and 
as much, if not more important, his offering to us as we're doing so. So this is where we're heading today. And I want to tell you something. I confess to you all today that in trying to answer the question, why does Satan want to keep us from the liturgy, the Eucharist? This week when I started praying, I found myself drowning in a good way. I was overwhelmed. Where do I, what do I even, how do I talk about this? Because what's happening by Christ's construction and blessing and consecration and grace and presence, what is happening is for us all, beyond us all, and we will forever be growing into the mystery. In fact, I kept feeling like as I'm considering the liturgy and all that the church says Christ is doing, things I've experienced, things I have yet to experience that are really going on in the liturgical experience when Christ is with us, I kind of kept thinking of it as this inexhaustible and unending rabbit hole of mystery that keeps getting revealed to me and to us more and more as we continue to come. If we're seeking Him, if we're allowing the Lord to heal the soul, which results in far better goggles to see through just the tangible with. When we allow Christ to heal our soul, it's almost like more and more through those healings, He's peeling away more and more, the veil's opening up more. And I can tell you that in my nine years of orthodoxy, this has been true for me. Oh, there's so much more I want to see that I haven't seen yet, and there's so much more I see today than when I first started. Because there's blindness in us. Like we talked about with blind Bartimaeus. Our blindness is what's in our soul that's preventing us from seeing and receiving what God wants to show us and do for us. But, like blind Bartimaeus, what Satan doesn't want is for us to come and to keep coming and to never stop coming until we experience, until we see, until our souls are made whole. You see? It's the same thing with the divine Eucharist. As if as we're healed layer by layer, those scales of blindness are falling off, and that unveiling goes our whole lives. Because it's in the liturgy. Here's the reality summed up. In the liturgy, all of the saints in heaven, a multitude you can't fathom. All of the saints in heaven and on earth, along with the angelic beings, with us, near to us, we are all together united, and the Lamb of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is present in our midst, not partially, is fully present among us as we are welcomed into His eternal worship, where He comes and joins with us as we come to join with Him. What I want to do for just a few moments to give you a picture, and this is where you're going to have to work and stretch for a moment. I want to give you some snippets from the book of Revelation on the eternal worship of God. It's going to be from Revelation 4, 5, 7, and 21. And there's more in there. I just pulled some of them. But here's what I need you to do. It would be most helpful to you if you can do this. While I'm reading these snippets from Revelation, let them be superimposed to your experience of liturgy, to what you've seen of liturgy, to what you see going on, and the pattern of liturgy, the things you see, the things you hear, the things you smell. All of those things. When I read from Revelation, let it be superimposed 
And that's the only way you're even going to get the smallest glimpse of what's really happening in there every time we gather, whether we see it or not. From Revelation, come up here and I will show you. Come up here and see, St. John is told. I love that. Even when he's given the vision of the eternal worship in heaven, it's the same voice the church uses when we're living in the world and someone is wondering why we've changed so much in our lives. Come and see. And where do we bring them? Here. Come and see. This is why I'm different. This is why I'm being healed and saved. John saw this. He saw a throne and our Lord sitting upon it. I want you to see the altar. Around the throne is sung the thrice holy hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The Sanctus is being sung. The Sanctus is being sung by all of heaven and earth around the throne. And when it's sung, all of those in heaven fall down before him in response, proclaiming with one voice, You are worthy to receive honor and power. We even see the pattern of God revealing himself and the people responding to what they've been shown. That is the responsory nature of the eternal liturgy in heaven and earth together. He reveals himself, and we respond rightly. You see? We see another worship, uh, excuse me, in this worship, another angel. He's the thurifer. The thurifer, the one who has the censer in heaven. It says he was given much incense, offering that smoke with the prayers of the saints, which ascends before God. By the way, notice, I always get this confused sometimes. I used to think the smoke was the prayers of the saints. No, but it shows us something about the prayers of the saints. He offers the incense. The incense goes up along with the prayers of the saints. What are the prayers of the saints doing? They're going up and being heard. They're being heard. It ascends before God, that smoke, and the prayers. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne of God. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. We need to see that this tells us something very important in God's divine purpose to your being there, your being present, joined to the rest of the faithful on earth and in heaven in the liturgical worship of God, because what you're seeing with the prayers of the saints and that incense that's going up, being handled by the angel, you're seeing the priesthood of all believers in their ordained ministry, which is you, not just somebody with a collar. We've talked about this before. You are the priesthood of Christ, His holy priesthood. You have purpose. You have been given grace. Just like a human priest has purpose and has been given grace to do what he does, you have been as well. And, and the prayers that we pray with all the saints in heaven and earth, they are with great purpose. They have an impact Because God taught us to pray them, they are His will. We are praying the heart of God. We are joining with the mediatorship of Jesus Christ when we pray these prayers. And they are effective in this present world 
Because we have been invited to join with the Lord our God in His redemption of all things. Stop for a second. It's one of those stop the presses moments. You have been invited by Christ to be joined in His ministry of redeeming all things in Christ. You know, that's one of the greatest mercies that as I kept looking over that this week, this is an incredible mercy that we've been given. I want you to think about this. In the garden of paradise when man was created, God created us to be like him through many means, but one of them was to cooperate with him, relationally cooperate with him in overseeing all that he had created, to be stewards of everything that he created. And what did we do with that stewardship? We abandoned it and we caused it to fall by the sin of Adam and Eve. Rather than being good stewards, we caused all of creation to fall in that tragic event. And here's the unbelievable mercy, the mercy we could never deserve. That in the mind and heart of God, the God who Adam and Eve, mankind sinned against, caused that fall by his divine will and his mercy would invite mankind to be joined to him in the redemption of what they caused to fall. Can you, can you see that? We don't deserve that. We made this mess. And yet he brings us to his side, just like he did at creation, to teach us how to be like him and to be joined to him that as we pray, the prayers that are being prayed in heaven and earth, and that smoke of our prayers, so to speak, is rising before God. It is having an impact in the restoration of all things under heaven to redeem creation. He's given us that incredible gift. Let's continue with some looks at Revelation. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all tribes, Nations, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's you in the nave. That's you in a multitude you can't count that are there with you. And it doesn't even feel tight in the pews. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, the white robes of their baptism, with palm branches in their hand, Lends us to the voice of crying out, Hosanna, doesn't it? Which means what? Lord, save us. Save us. Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne. Again, picture the altar. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne of God and worshiping. Are you seeing the multitude? Can you glimpse the multitude? Because they're with us. And we are with them in that eternal worship. And the angelic beings. Things we can't even fathom with our minds or realities in our midst. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet what? Believed. Believed. See? The kingdom of God is brought so very near to us, and this is the liturgy of heaven and earth joined together in that sacred space. And I'll give you one other aspect from Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, 
and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them, and He will be their God. Again, that announcement, Christ is in our midst, He is and ever shall be, is so perfectly appropriate to what's going on there. And then, He who sat on the throne said, listen to these words, Behold, I make all things new. And He's doing so as we gather together with heaven and earth. Everything you just heard, all those words that paint the picture that the blessed apostle was gifted by the Holy Spirit to share with the church, the faithful, for very important reasons. They were about to go into martyrdom. So what does Christ do? He gives them a glimpse of heaven and earth joined together and what eternity is here and now and then. And they see this. And they start to see that the veil is very thin. Everything you just heard is what's going on in there. And oh, by the way, the statement that Jesus makes, you want to talk about ultimately why Satan wants to keep us from that experience? Because Jesus said, here, I make all things new. It's the opposite of what Satan wants for your life. He wants you stayed in a lesser existence, a lesser human estate than you were ever created to be in. Now, I want you to take all those wondrous things that you just heard about the eternal worship of God that is happening when we gather together, and here's what Satan whispers. It's just a church service. You see the contrast of that? It's just a church service. You can change it at will, but who? it doesn't matter. Because it's nothing here. It's, it's like one of those, you know, those old-time cops in a city when there was an incident or a, tra- or a traffic, something happened, and, you know, all the rubberneckers are looking, and what is the cop saying? Oh, no, no, move along. There's nothing to see here. This is the voice of Satan to every Christian. Just, if you come, just bear with it. Oh, and by the way, get up and go to the bathroom four times during the liturgy. Because there's nothing happening here. And do it at a time when everybody... <laughs> he uses it. And I'm just joking about that. Of course we have to go to the bathroom sometimes. Later. Four times if you have to go to the bathroom. I'm calling you doctor. Okay? But. But. That's... <laughs> but this is what Satan says in all of this awe-inspiring vision of truly what's going on in the worship of God's people and how thin the veil is and how joined we are to all of it, Satan is saying there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Because, see, here's the deal. If it is just a mere church service to us, then how easily he can distract us, how easily he can convince us of so many excuses that we're going to look at in just a few moments that we make that keep us from being present here, fulfilling our role, making our offering, but receiving the offering of God and all of His kingdom to us, okay? So let's dive into just a few strategies that Satan uses to keep us from the liturgy and the Eucharist. The first is this. He whispers, get them, get them to forsake the assembly altogether. Forsake that gathering Because what did I say is happening in that gathering? Not only a bunch of human beings that are bathed in the blood of Christ and resurrected into His new life that have been joined as one together are gathering there, but also those through the thin veil. They are all together there. Get them, first of all, get them to deny 
that they even have an ordained priesthood in the kingdom of God. Get them to not even consider that in their lives, never to consider their priesthood in Christ in their daily lives in Him. Let that escape their memory and their mind and their knowledge altogether. The enemy says, don't let them believe that they've been given that divine grace, that they've been set aside by God to represent the world to God, again, joining Him in the redemption of all of it, as we saw in Revelation. Don't let them believe at all that the prayers they pray, whether they're being prayed by the priests that we're all to join ourselves to in our hearts, I don't pray to take up space until you come in. Every prayer is our prayer, you see, unless I'm addressing you. But let them believe that all of those prayers are ineffective, that they come to nothing, that it's going through the motions as part of the order of a routine, of a ritual only. You see, let them feel that they have no real place. Let them feel powerless like we feel. That's what the enemy's doing. Let them feel powerless. Let them feel voiceless. Let them feel utterly ineffective then we will have them deny their most true and rightful experience of God and His kingdom and their rightful place in it. This is what our enemy is doing to us. In other words, he thinks now we've got them right where we want them, coming to church but denying its reality. Coming to church but denying its reality and denying their most true identity. To piggyback on that, we have that second decision that if, if this is all it is, if I'm not a priest and if all of this is meaningless, and not mean, I don't want to go so far as meaningless. He doesn't go that far. He doesn't have to go to meaningless, fruitless. Fruitless. If even he can get us to the thinking that what I'm praying it has no purpose. He's done his job. Because that, tie, that unties all the ties that we have to it and now he can help us to find excuses, find excuses not to come and present themselves to God and to one another to be together in this great role that we have and the profound experience he wants to give us. You know, there's a parable Jesus tells about this. It's the parable of the banquet in St. Luke in chapter 14. The parable is very simple. And Jesus starts the parable before he tells the parable. He gives you, you need to have this. This is like the key to unlocking what the parable is about. Jesus said, blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What's the parable of the banquet about? The Eucharist. That's where we eat bread now in the eternal kingdom of God. And now he's going to tell you a parable about this divine banquet. He says that there's a master of the house, which is God the Father. And the master of the house has prepared an incredible supper, a banquet for the benefit of all around him. And he sends his servant, who we know is Jesus Christ, the Son, who is God. Let all of them, those invited to the banquet, let them know that it's ready. It's time to come. I've prepared it. It's here. And what did they do one by one? They made excuses. One of them said, I just bought land. I have to go tend to it. This is my livelihood. I, I just bought land. I have to go see about it. Another one said, for his livelihood, 
I just bought new beasts of burdens and I've got to go try them out, make sure that they will work and get them ready to work. Another one said, I just got married. I'm going to have to miss the banquet. And no jokes about getting married and beasts of burdens and all that kind of stuff. Don't go there. <laughs> but these are the excuses they're making. Now, let's throw in ours. Let's throw in ours. I had such an incredibly busy week. I am so exhausted. Oh, and yes, it's the day of rest, isn't it? So I'm too tired. I need to rest. I'll get back next week. Okay. Another one. I am going through such depression in my life. Horrible suffering. I'm hurting. I have suffered such a great loss this last week. I just don't think I can be around anyone right now. Better to suffer alone. Oh, here's one. The service is live streamed. <laughs> there is a plug, is there not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. That's right. But all, and I could, I'm just tr I'm priming the pump for all of the things that we get tempted with in our thoughts. From little, we think they're little temptations, but boy, when they take root, they start steering our soul a direction. And what are they keeping us from? Eternity. Healing. Listen, when I talk about people in depression and hurting, I have great compassion. We have to say, what does our Lord say we need for all of these things? Not be our own little physician, but lean on the great physician to give us prescriptions. And I want you to hear this very quickly. You are not hearing, I know you're not hearing, legalistic mentality. The church doors are open, you better be there. It did you not hear in the parable an invitation to a banquet that is a benefit for anyone that comes? An invitation by God. So they come up with all of these different excuses. And how does the Father see the excuses? I love what St. Cyril of Alexandria says. They began, it says, all of them at once to make excuse, that is... As with one purpose, without any delay, they made excuse. By senselessly giving themselves up to these earthly matters, they cannot see spiritual things. Do you want the blindness of your eyes, the eyes of your soul, open to behold what's really going on in that building when we worship? We have got to begin to scrape away the attention to the earthly things and redirect the attention of our souls upon Christ. Much of the reason for our blindness on Sunday mornings is because what we've set our attention to every other six days of the week leading up to it. If you want this mystery to unfold in your heart to find extreme joy, then let go of the earthly things. You see? He goes on. Conquered by the love of the flesh, they are far from holiness. They're covetous. And greedy after wealth, they seek things that are below, 
but make no account in the slightest degree of the hopes that are stored up with God. It would be far better to gain the joys of paradise instead of earthly fields of temporary furrows. This is the heart of Christ for us. You see? So this is one of their temptations to get them to forsake the assembly, their part in it and just coming at all. Secondly, keep them from truly offering themselves to God and by all means, keep them from God's offering of himself to them. This is a relationship when we go in there. Relationship is two people moving towards one another and receiving each other in, into one another. You see, it's a oneness that's going on. And, and our enemy does not want us to see that. Let's talk about for just a minute. What is it that we offer to God? And then we're going to look at what God offers to us. So I'm going to add one. I totally forgot to put one. Forgive me. But what we offer ourselves to God, our authentic selves. But there is one other thing I'm going to start off with. What do we offer to God when we come by our ordained priesthood? We offer the fallen world back to God. That is part of the offering of the priesthood of all believers to the great high priest. It's actually joining with him in his ministry. It's sanctifying and redeeming all things. Now, how would we prepare? How can we think about offering the world back to God? Well, if we're living a life of prayer and intercession throughout the week, we are praying for this world. We're praying for its fallenness with the liturgical prayers, and then we're also putting into those liturgical prayers praying for the things we see that are so destructive to the souls of man that are all around us in our culture. This priesthood doesn't just show up on Sundays. No athlete shows up for the game without practice. We pray all week, fellowshipping with God, living out that priesthood as well as our individual fellowship with Him, and He will put on our hearts how to pray for this world. He will grant us His mediatorship, His mind on these things, and we offer them to him as prayers. And then when we come on Sunday, having been doing that all through the week, guess what? It's very easy. I know what I'm here to do. One of the things I'm here to do, I'm not just offering myself. Lord, I'm offering this world to you for its salvation. This and this, and we can have that in our minds. Yeah. Keep it going. Right. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. That's us. That's, a, that's, that's, that's not just laity. That's all of us. Sharon? It is both our own, and that can be part of it. Because we're part of it. I am part of this. Very good. Yes. Very good. Absolutely. So we offer to God the world. That's part of our offering, the fallenness, and joining Him in His redemption of it. As far as offering ourselves to God, which comes from Romans 12, we hear it in the Mass, our souls and bodies. Everything we are, we offer to Him every time we come. What do we offer to Him? 
We offer Him the praise for who He is and all that He has done on our behalf, We're mind, which means we have to be mindful of it. Again, if we are in the rhythm of prayer, fellowship with Christ all week, we're already doing this. So we bring it in with us and let it continue, you see? We offer Him our successes and our victories, but we do it in a way that just like it says in Revelation, when they were given crowns, they laid it right back down at Jesus' feet. Because every success and every victory in my life is because of the grace of Jesus Christ and His saving my soul. And we offer those crowns of everything that He's done in us and through us to a praise for Him. We also offer Him our deficiencies. We offer Him our failures. We offer Him our falling short our yet-to-be-healed brokenness. That's what it means, offer yourselves, your whole self. If we're not doing it throughout the week, then I dare say we've not prepared ourselves to come. I don't mean perfectly throughout the whole week. Don't go there. But if we're not in some form of a rhythm of fellowship with God, offering ourselves to Him during the week, we're going to struggle to both do it, but also to receive all that God wants us to receive and see when we gather together. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, what is God offering to us? I'm going to take these final 10 minutes, and I want to go over the liturgy, and I'm going to read some things from the liturgy. You know, remember, always remember, the prayers of the church, whether they're in the liturgy, matins, vespers, the hours of prayer, the prayers of the church either show us precisely who God is or they tell us precisely His will. So when we're praying the prayers, we're praying His will, and we're praying things about Him. And there is much that the liturgy shows us about what God is doing for us in the liturgy. And when you see this, it's a no-brainer why Satan doesn't want us to have any part in this. And so we begin with the procession because it combats forsaking the assembly. Now, in the, now the, you see the procession as all those serving at the altar processing. That's not what you should see in the procession. In the early church, in the early church, we have one service a year that does this. But in the early church, everyone gathered outside of the church. And when the priest was ready, he would lead the whole lot of the assembly into the sacred space, into eternity, and the priest leading, taking his own soul and all the souls coming with him on that great ascension journey of the liturgy going up became impractical. It became impractical. So we were given the procession that we have today so that when you see that procession, what locks in your mind? What locks in your mind? Here we go. I'm going to now enter in and begin that ascension with everybody else, the assembly that's around me. I will go unto the altar of God. And you could think of it this way, we will go unto the altar of God, because that's accurate. That's accurate. And one of the first stagings in this grand experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the first things He has us do cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy. 
Now, you've heard me say this before. Crying out for mercy, ridiculous notion if you come in without a clue of why you need it. It's empty words because there's no magic. This is relationship. This is real. If we don't know before we come various insights into our soul as to our need for mercy, then our crying out, not going to do a whole lot. But if we come letting the Holy Spirit prepare us all through the week and before the liturgy, where we see ourselves through God's eyes, which means that we share his grieving heart over our lowly estate. You understand that when when we talk about repentance and we talk about grief over our sin, it's not the grief that clubs ourselves, that wants to push the mighty smite button on ourselves. It is the grief of God. When God sees our fallenness, just like when he saw all those who were ill, when he stepped off the boat, he saw them and it says he had compassion on them because of their low estate, because of their suffering. He ached with an incredible ache over the condition of those people, his people. And he was moved to action. And so when we come in, having obtained the heart of God, grieving like he grieves over that low estate in our lives, whatever he's brought to our mind that day, that week, whatever, and then we cry out for mercy, I promise you in that, in that service, you'll, you'll experience it. He will grant it. He doesn't call us to call out for mercy, to bring us together to call out for mercy where he's not going to grant it for those who are seeking that. So we call out for mercy. Then, having called out for mercy, our Lord presents himself to us, the voice of the shepherd. By the way, there's no way I can cover the entire liturgy. So bear with whatever I miss, but I'm going to highlight some things. We hear the voice of our shepherd through every prayer, by the way, but we hear the voice of our shepherd through the divine reading of scriptures. I I want to keep this before you. I've said this multiple times each year, and I won't stop. Are your ears listening to the chanting of the epistle and the reading of the epistle in Matins? Are they listening in the divine liturgy to the chanting of the gospel with ears as to listening to the voice of Christ coming into my life right at that moment to speak to me? With, with the divine invitation basically saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me in this moment? Because by hearing of the scriptures and the sermon, which is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ through his church to us, when we hear all of these things, he wants us to learn to recognize his voice. And he wants to implant those truths within ourselves. That, that planting those seeds in the soil like we've been talking about, is this how we're listening Because this is how he's speaking. Then, my friends, like Sharon said, and I think sometimes we don't think enough about this. We actually, as a people of God, do confession in the Mass. Do we not confess our sins through the confessional? And again, I go back to the thing about mercy. If you're drawing a blank because you have no clue as to any sin in your life, that you don't, you're not locked on to something, well, we're, you're really not confessing. But if that, there is something in my heart that Christ has shown me 
that I am bringing to him when I confess, asking for relief. That he would ease my conscience and cover me with his blood that day. Because from confession on, you're going to hear so much about how our sins are forgiven here. In the Mass. I'll read them to you in just a few short moments. But we confess, when the priest turns around and you hear the voice of Christ through him, just like in confession, do you not hear and receive the absolution? It's there to be had. It does not supplant the sacrament of confession. But if you want to think, don't even try to think. Get the deception out that Jesus is not here forgiving sins when he voices that absolution if we've come and confessed them, knowing our need for mercy. Okay? Then our Lord Jesus Christ prepares the Eucharist. Now I want to read to you many things. They're going to show you what Jesus is doing in the liturgy and in the Eucharist straight from the Missal. So bear with me, but I want this to lie. I'm doing this for a purpose. Because I want to dispel this thing that... that uh, let me, I'll get to that in a minute. During the words of institution, likewise after supper he took the cup and when he'd given thanks... He gave it to them saying, drink this all of you for this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for you and for many for the remission of... Wait a minute. Shed for you for what? For the remission of your sins. Do this as oft as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. Another statement. And earnestly we desire thy fatherly goodness mercifully to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, most humbly beseeching thee to grant that by the merits and death of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and all thy whole church may obtain the remission of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. And here we offer, our body, our offer and present unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies, beseeching thee and all others who shall be partakers of this holy communion may worthily receive the most precious body and blood of thy son Jesus Christ may be filled with grace. You're seeing two activities of Christ through the Eucharist. To cover your sins. To cover your sins. To forgive your sins. And to grant you divine grace to go and sin no more. Both of those things he is doing. Yes. And we're receiving Him. He is the forgiveness of sins. He is the grace. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you. The priest goes on at another point. Deliver us, we beseech thee, O Lord, from all evils. Christ is delivering His people, which is part of His restoration of all things, from all evils, in and outside of us. He is the God of deliverance. I think there was another one. Hang on. Where is it? Oh, yeah. The very prayer of preparation to receive Eucharist tells us the same thing. I believe, O Lord, and I confess that Thou art truly the Christ, the Son of the living God, who didst come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I believe that this is truly Thine own immaculate body, and it's truly Thine own precious blood. Wherefore, I pray Thee, have mercy on me. And forgive my transgressions, both voluntary and involuntary of word and of deed. Knowledge and... That covers it all. As we take Christ into ourself, again, not blindly, knowing our need. 
We're bringing ourselves to contact with the healer. The healer is touching us. And he's putting that salve of healing, both on our conscience, on our souls, giving us grace for transformation. Yes? Point number four is Christ prepares the vessel. Yeah. Christ is the vessel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we receive him in the Eucharist, and then we depart from here to represent and manifest God to the world. I'm going to read something in a minute. But the, when I, the reason I went over all of those statements of what Christ is doing through the Eucharist is the very reason I am very concerned when I see people constantly staying away from the Eucharist. He invited you here. We are told we are to come in a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. Let me tell you what the unworthy manner is. Unrepentant. I do not let God in my life and I have no desire to overcome this sin, then I will tell you, you should probably abstain, and you need to start meeting with me quickly so that we can develop a heart that wants to be healed. And the church teaches us we must experience in this preparation, confession, in two seasons at a minimum. What we're about to do, Lent, and in Advent, and then any time else you need it in between. Don't only come those two times, but that's what he says is necessary for us. Don't come in an unworthy manner, unrepentant. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If you've been living in Christ and praying all week, again, not perfectly, and He's been shining a light on your deficiencies and the sufferings of your soul and the continuing besetting sins, and you've fallen a couple of times, but you know it and are grieved with the heart of God over it, then your coming is in a worthy manner. Because it's He who has created your heart and gifted you with the grief over your sin to cry out for mercy, to meet with Him, and to receive it. You see? And that's why I went through that. Jesus tells us so specifically. And by the way, those are in the liturgies of St. John. It's also in the liturgy of St. Gregory, St. John Chrysostom. All of those speak to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgiving sins and giving grace. Forgiving sins, giving grace. You see? So see it accurately. Accurate. I remember Father was telling me, we were talking about this one day, there was a time in, at St. Benedict where he, he literally had to tell parishioners, before you abstain, I want you to talk to me first. Because too many people were denying themselves. They were grieving over their sins. But we're going too far. By the way, don't think that can't be another excuse that Satan puts in our mind to keep us from experiencing and receiving. Okay? And always, if you have any questions about that, you come and see me. Are you getting a glimpse of some, I mean, and I mean just a glimpse, of the realities of what are going on in that timeless time that we call the divine liturgy? This is why Satan wants to keep us from it. And I want to close with something from Father Alexander Schmemann from his book, For the Life of the World, which is an infinitely wonderful book about the sacramental understanding of all things of Christ's church and the Eucharist. Listen to what he said, because this is what we're to be. The early Christians realized that in order to become the temple of the Holy Spirit, they must ascend to heaven where Christ has ascended. They realize also that this ascension was the very condition of their mission in the world, of their ministry to the world. 
for there in heaven they were immersed in the new life of the kingdom of God. Where in heaven? In the liturgy. And when after this liturgy of ascension, they returned to the world, their faces reflected the light, the joy and peace of that kingdom, and they were truly its witnesses. They brought no programs, no theories, but wherever they went, the seeds of the kingdom sprouted, faith was kindled, life was transfigured, things impossible were now made possible. They were witnesses And when they were asked, whence shines the light? Where's the source of this power? They knew what to answer and where to lead men. Isn't that beautiful? When we leave, you know the depart in peace is really go and be about your mission. Everything that you've received, like Father has said, when we come here, we're representing the world to God. We're facing Him ourselves. Like Sharon said, our own sin, part of that need of redemption. We're facing God. And then like Moses, having been with God, we go and we don't douse our face. We let his glory shine forth so that people encounter. And when they ask, what is that glory? Where did it come from? Come and see and they'll experience it. And I'm going to tell you, that experience is precisely why almost everyone that's joined the church in the last four or five years, they'll tell you the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Okay? I pray this has helped What we're going to do beginning next week, we're going to start a totally different series, and it's going to have a Lenten focus. Father and I are talking about that and working on that right now. But my prayer is that the little door, and I mean the little door that I cracked open with this, I pray that you'll work with God to let it just blow wide open over time so that you can see and experience what's really going on to your salvation and the salvation of the world. Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.